Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I'm very excited, and it's a pleasure to, to introduce my guest to you this morning, but in a moment, you have to wait a minute, you've got to hear about the conferences first. Uh, so we've, uh, the National Council of Investigative Services Conference in Washington, D.C., and the Florida Association Conference in, um, I believe it's in Orlando, there's but a, but a memory. They're all gone. They're done. They had a great time and met a lot of people, lots of networking, lots of good education. But now we have coming up next is the um, California Association Conference in Las Vegas, which will be at the Westgate Hotel Resort and Casino May 30th through June 1st. And we have the NALI, National Association of Legal Investigators, in Philadelphia, July 18th and 19th at the Doubletree. And then there's the Indiana Conference that's coming up in about uh, two weeks, um, maybe even a little less, and they have a great uh, education as well. So uh, let me just introduce you to uh, one of my favorite couples, C.W. and Sherry Sellers. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, Francie. Nice to have you on the show, you guys. Um, you, uh, we've known each other and been friends for quite a few years now. And uh, I know you do a great investigative product. You have a great investigative product. And uh, you're very committed to providing excellent service, not only to your clients, but in the, uh, mm, the completeness of the work you do. So thank you for representing the private investigator organizations and uh, being on the show today. Well, thank you, Francie, for having us. We appreciate it. So you guys, I mean, I, I think that uh, probably anybody that listens to the news these days would know what Me Too stands for. And it always applies these days, the new uh, sexual harassment and all of the related claims that go with sexual harassment uh, comes under the Me Too. And you guys have delved into this pretty extensively and pretty thoroughly. So let's just talk about it a little bit. Um, so you've been Francie, doing... Before we, before we, get, yeah, before we sure. get started, could I just say yeah. something? Sure. Um, I just want the listeners to know that our firm... Uh, mainly works for government agencies, staffing agencies, corporations, and, dot, and, and our clients are dot-com clients. So our approach today that we'll be talking about is mainly uh, work as, as the investigation should be considered and operated um, when working for an employer and looking at supervision and work environment focus. Um, so I just need that to be known up front because we're not looking at it from the, the victim's point of view, uh, although we will talk in depth about uh, respect and confidentiality uh, with, with concerns to all parties. For sure. And, you know, I have to say that you guys, I, you're the only couple that I know that has both of your faces on the front of your company. In, at least in California. So that's a really important, I think, combination to, to investigate these cases because it gives you both that male and female perspective, and we know they may be a little different. Well, my wife brings a different perspective as a female as I bring as a male, and both of those perspectives are needed to be able to have an unbiased investigation. For sure. For sure. So let's start with you're contacted by an agency 
uh, there's a claim at the agency. It doesn't matter what the claim is, but you're contacted by an agency. And what what goes next? Well, the the first thing we want to do is we want to sit down and and have a uh, a conference to see if we're even going to accept the case. And I mean, a lot of times people don't understand that you don't just call an investigator and they say, okay, we'll take your case. Especially with these types of cases, you want to make sure that everybody is on board uh, ethically and professionally with how the investigation is going to be handled. Okay. All right. So, okay, take it from there then. Okay. Then the, the next move should, uh, should, the, should we decide to uh, accept the case would be uh, the planning stage. Um, you cannot run one of these investigations uh, without planning. Your, your plan has to be uh, laid out. You know, there's the old term, uh, have a plan and follow the plan. Uh, you've got to do that uh, at every phase in a Me Too investigation. Uh, there's way too much history that has come about in the last uh, five years with regards to um, the Me Too violations that have gone on in the past. So your employee or victim making the allegation has a plethora of history to dig up out of the archives as to how come these behaviors happen and note dozens of uh, past cases where they've just been swept under the carpet by corporations and large companies. Okay, so when you when you have that first contact with your potential client, they call you about a case. Do you what kind of cautions do you give them up front? Well, first of all, we want to find out what they have in place. Um, it's very important that they have policies and procedures in place that support uh, their investigative plan. Um, it all should be in the employee handbook. Uh, the employee signs off on the handbook that they have a copy of that and that they understand um, the company's perspective when an investigation uh, ensues. Um, that you're going to have to cooperate. Uh, you're going to have to give access, you know, sign access to your telephone. Um, you know, nowadays there's, there's just a plethora of avenues where, where uh, evidence can be hidden or stored. Um, so we want to make sure that they have the right policies in place and then what we're going to do if they don't have the policies in place. And I think that today the biggest um, error that companies make, large or small, is that they don't have policies and procedures in place and they haven't thought about the what if this happens to us, are we ready? Um, Because I can tell you in most of the cases we come across and work, there are no policies in place and it makes your investigation a whole lot more difficult. Interesting. Now, I know a law was just passed that went into effect this year that all in, all companies, and I'm assuming this includes governmental uh, agencies, with eight employees or more have to have sexual harassment training by 2020. Does that include government agencies? Or do you know? It, it, it does. It does. Um, it, it, when it says, when it said all, it, it did mean all. And there, everybody is supposed to have uh, that policy in place. Um, is it being followed? I can tell you from experience, a lot of times it's not. Matter of fact, uh, HR people will control their invest, try to control, control the investigation try to say, this is my investigation. You can't just bring in witnesses that you uncover. Um, We need to remember as investigators that the investigation needs to be balanced and it needs to be unbiased. Okay. 
All right. So let's let's talk about the scope of the investigation and the plan that that the okay. plan items that you guys consider. Can, Sherry, can you address that? Yes. Okay. Due to the recent events in the media, um, professions have made significant progress in hiring and promoting women. And so in this era of Me Too, a time of imbalance has caused unstable work environments, a ripe environment for internal and external harassment claims, allegations of sexual exploitation, improper sexual behavior, and ethics violations. We've seen um, lack of advancement, workplace harassment, workplace bullying by management, supervisors, and fellow employees, unwanted and unsolicited sexual advancements, Directly, sometimes subtly, sometimes out in the open, sometimes in closed doors, in the workplace, or often off the workplace proper, in property meetings. Now clients and coworkers and the general public are willing to come forward and blow the whistle. So the reputation of these industries, right or wrong, speaks for itself and provides historical evidence of the complaints being filed. So the victims, given the existing history, can only believe that miss or improper treatment, sometimes lasting for decades, is not professional in any way, shape, or form. It's not healthy that they've endured or currently enduring situations in the workplace that are either actual, perceived, or may be gender-based. So as an independent contracted investigator or an in-house human resource director who's supervising the investigation, your job is to conduct a thorough investigation, leaving no stone unturned. In your search for the facts, documents, and evidence will either support or deny the allegations made in the claim or implied, which is brought about the investigation. So it must be professional, ethical, unbiased, and well-planned. So, um, so when you put together items to consider for your investigative plan, what kinds of things are you considering? We want to I, reveal Francie, the facts. Think, so, what, what CW? Go ahead. I, I, I think wanted, uh, I, I didn't. I didn't want to interrupt my wife. Go ahead, Sherry. Well, we want to um, make every effort to reveal every fact so we collect all evidence, which will minimize our liability to our client or the firm <clears throat> or the company that they're working for. Um, we conduct our investigations in a manner so as to protect the rights, privacy, and maintain the confidentiality of the employee making the allegation. So it's very important that the facts we're collecting are staying confidential. Okay, and how do you maintain that confidentiality? Francie, I would say that the, one of the most critical concept keys in these investigation is the investigator and the executive at the company that are working together in maintaining control of the investigation have to agree that there will be no outside communication of the inve- uh, of no outside uh, outside communication from the investigative team. That team is not to talk to anyone, no one inside the company or anyone outside the company, uh, no form of media or press uh, is to be involved and. Uh, the team needs to agree and get together if there's going to be any media release of any kind about the investigation, about what's going to be said, how it's going to be said. Um, you, you just can't have any leaks. It is the most damaging to these types of investigations. So what, um, do, you do, what do you do, CW, with the uh, person who's been harassed potentially um, makes a media statement. What do you do with that? You, what you have to do is you, 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 you bring the team together, you look at what's been said, uh, and many times no response is the best response. Um, if the team decides that, they're, that, we're, that we're involved in an investigation and we are not at this time um, 
able to release any information because the investigation is still underway is probably the best statement that can be given. And usually if the company has uh, an information officer, it should be given uh, by the information officer and the investigative team should be kept away from any media exposure at all so that they can do their work without being um, pressured by the media as well. Okay. All right. So essentially, if you're contacted, it's no comment. Or if the company's contacted, no comment. It's no, you it's agree on no comment. comment. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. So you mentioned outside witnesses and and controlled by HR. So can you expand on that a little bit? Because why would HR not want you to do the best job you could do to uh, uncover what's going on? Well, one of the things, one of the things that you want to find out early on in your conference is who's going to control the the investigation from inside the company and what influence do the executive officers or the board have over that person? Um, if they're not, if the board and the executive officers are not going to let that person operate freely in the best interest of the company in the investigation uh, without pressure, um, that, that cannot be your lead person. A lot of times uh, the person placed in charge of the investigation may have some type of a relationship, uh, professional relationship with the, a board member or the CEO. And we find that sometimes, quite often, it's these folks that are involved in the complaint down the road. You don't know who's all involved until the investigation gives way. And once it gets underway, uh, you start finding out things. And we just need to find out all the truth. So if the situation moves into litigation, uh, counsel has all the information they need, good or bad, uh, to be able to provide a good defense. So can you give an example of a situation like that, CW? Uh, For instance, you have an HR person, and HR usually are the people that receive the complaint and kind of maintain paper control, uh, make sure that the policies are being followed according to the company policies if there's one in place. Um, But sometimes HR people have been with the company for years and they have relationships all the way up to the executive board of the company if it's a large firm or a large corporation. Um, As the investigation starts to unfold, all of a sudden more and more people become involved by either being involved or concealing someone else's involvement. Um, This stuff all needs to come out, um, but historically, boards, especially if a board member has been involved or an executive officer, if the executive officer has been involved or one of his colleagues at the executive level have been involved, begin to put pressure on the HR person as to, hey, we don't want this exposed. Mm-hmm. Well, what they don't understand is the investigation is to help their counsel should this go to litigation. So everything needs to be um, needs to be disclosed, uh, but most of the time the board and the executives of the company or corporation get the barns on fire syndrome going and they become frantic. And one of the things you cannot do is be in a rush in one of these investigations. You must be thorough and they need to understand that, you know what, tell us now, disclose it now because it's definitely going to come out because we're going to follow every lead as to what happened, when it happened, and who was involved. Okay, and, and CW, what's the benefit of uh, having outside counsel versus uh, in-house counsel? We actually recommend both. Um, outside counsel is a new set of eyes that can really see things that are missing in the equation. Um, inside counsel um, is kind of like the defensive warrior of the company. They always are. 
um, we need to put this fire out. We need to put this fire out. And in these situations, um, you need to know where the fire's out before you can put it out. So mm-hmm. if the investigation does not develop, you'll never know uh, how to deal with it should it go to litigation. So um, in the beginning, inside counsel's fine, but when you move into a situation to where you have um, a feel of things are not balanced, we would normally suggest that outside counsel come in and confer uh, so they can be at the table and give a pers- the perspective of this is what I'm seeing going on. Uh, and, and they just bring a new light into the whole investigation um, in an unbiased way. Well, and you know, you meant what you mentioned earlier about uh, relationships that inside counsel also may have the same kind of relationships for being with because of being with the company for a period of time with these same people that are being involved in the investigation. Absolutely. Um, same thing with investigators. The, the, the corporation may say, well, we want to use our in-house investigator. Every time you use somebody embedded in the company or the corporation, it gives the balance a little tip. In other words, well, these guys work for them, so they're going to see things the way the company wants them to be seen. Right. Uh, right. It doesn't mean that an in-house investigator can't be unbiased. It just is not perceived that they are. And that perception is really key if you should end up in litigation. So how do you go about finding witnesses that will either support or or refute the allegations? Well, normally how we begin is we ask the person who has placed the claim or allegation to provide us with a witness list. And we also request the employer to provide us with a witness list. During those interviews, when we conduct interviews, we have a question very near the end of our question line that says, do you have any other, do you know of any other people who might help be able to help us in this investigation, something to that effect. I'm sure it's written a little bit better than that. And we always find additional witnesses that we can talk to to see if they have information that is pertinent and unbiased. Um, Sometimes we meet with employers that say, hey, wait a minute, this bill is getting too big. We don't want any more witnesses. Well, situation is, is if a witness is uncovered, you need to go talk to that witness and find out what they know or what they don't know and what their involvement is and either exclude them or include them in the investigation plan. In addition to the um, victim's witnesses and the employer's witnesses, we often um, also conduct interviews with friends and families, associated witnesses such as janitorial workers, catering staff, facility workers. Everybody has a piece of the puzzle. And somebody, they, uh, it's also clear that as you begin to dig, you begin to find evidence. Um, and like I was saying earlier, um, there are so many avenues where evidence can be stored, hidden. Um, there's a lot of avenues where you have information that you don't even think about. It could be there. For instance, I don't know of too many investigators that would ever think about downloading a copy machine. All copy machines now have a memory chip in them. All the copies that are on that machine. And to be honest with you, the big office copiers, they have uh, original history in that copy machine. Every document copied, um, the new ones that have passcodes have who entered the passcode. Uh, you have a names list of who has those passcodes. Those people become a 
become a witness as well. Oh, I didn't make that copy. Well, who is it that you have given your passcode to? Um, in the beginning, the, the scope of the investigation needs to be as wide as you can make it and then narrow it down as your allegations are starting to be either confirmed or denied. So, so CW, how do you handle a situation where the company, the agency, whoever you're working for, says, well, we only have X number of dollars to work with. You're just going to have to work with that. What do you do then? Well, I, I think the best thing that, a, that an outside investigator can do is give them honest advice and counsel that we'll work with this, but these are the pros and cons of doing it that way. Um, if it's unbalanced, if it's more company people than uh, the person making the allegations or witness list, um, it, it, it's not going to look good should it go to litigation. Uh, in, in small amount cases, um, normally you try to find uh, witnesses of equal weight on both sides uh, and find out and find out what they know um, and and make that a part of the final report and uh, find uh, final findings of the investigation. Mm-hmm. And so if you, but I think the you best thing you can do is let them know. I think the best thing you can do is let them know what their decision will do good or bad. Okay. Um, we're, and Sherry, we're going to have to take a really quick break to give our uh, sponsors a, a little time. So we'll be right back. So I have some more questions about this. So we'll be back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Okay, so um, I'm back with my guests, C.W. Sellers and Sherry Sellers, a a well-known couple here in California who does all kinds of investigations. And the thing we're talking about today is the Me Too kinds of sexual harassment type of investigation. So um, I, w- I was just wondering, CW, if you say you 
say the agency says, okay, we, this is how much we have allotted for this, for this investigation. I suspect you're going to sit down with them and say, okay, this is what we think needs to be done. You tell me what the priorities are because we're not going to be able to do everything you want done within your budget. Is that how you handle it? Yeah, I think the best thing an investigator can do is be totally transparent about what needs to be done. And then you let your client say, well, this is what we can afford. How can we best complete an investigation uh, within this budget? And and then it becomes the investigator's um, responsibility to design an investigation that will fit into that budget that uh, is the most effective. Um, it, once you give them the disclaimer that this is what we think should be done, but we understand your budget and we'll do the best we can with your budget. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you're working with a small company that has very little budget at all and they're, and, and they're really in a tight spot So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you do a thorough investigation and um, uh, collect all the evidence, talk to the right people. Uh, You might ask your uh, person that's made the claim. Out of your list of 10 people, please prioritize those people with a number from 1 to 10 with regards to their importance and knowledge to your claim. So some of the... Um, records that get collected these days are really different from sexual harassment cases even maybe five years ago or, or seven years ago because we have call records that we can get, um, text messages. People can download the text messages from their phones. There are all kinds of digital messaging platforms. Uh, copy machine memories, that's a good one copy machine memories that, uh, where the copies have been made, maybe um, offending notes have been made on the, copy, the office copy machine, so that would be important to gather. Um, of course, and all Those the devices all have interviews. downloadable chips. Are you there, CW? I am back. <laughs> okay, you're back. So we're talking about... Yes. <laughs> we're having uh, major technical difficulties today, but we're moving on. So, uh, yeah, okay. so the uh, copy machine, um, you can access that, that information. And what, yeah, what you're going to find? You're going to find a lot of information in text between people. A lot of people think, well, you know, uh, the rumor mill is now today in the digital world in text. So people don't talk or stand around the quote-unquote old-time water cooler discussions, those aren't happening. They're happening every second of every day in texting between employees, disgruntled employees, happy employees. Uh, The rumor mill is in the texting mill. And there's all kinds of apps available. There's WhatsApp, there's Instagram, there's all of these other kinds of applications that don't necessarily come up in other areas. You have to go to that app to get them. Right. And I mean, I would always recommend to the employer that an algorithm internet search be done on anybody involved. Uh, We use a a system that does an algorithm search. We provide the information. It brings up everything the person has going on in the internet. So what do you mean by algorithm? Uh, it's it's a way, it's the way the internet works. Uh, in other words, I tell them your name, date of birth, uh, identifying information, uh, the witness's address, all of that, and the algorithm search, the, the software actually goes into the internet and begins to connect the dots and bring up everything that connects to any piece of that information, a telephone number, an address, a family name, a person, um, you know, you, you put in coworkers' names, you put in family members' names, it'll pick up all of that information and it compiles a report that shows everywhere that person has a footprint in the Internet. 
CW, are you doing that in-house, or do you have a company that does that for you? We actually sourced that out. We've been looking for years for somebody that that does it effectively and thoroughly, and we found a, a provider that really provides um, a document that is very impressive and very complete. You want to provide, uh, give that provider, or is that protected? Uh, we like to kind of keep it as a, uh, a protected source. Okay, that's fine. That's just fine. Uh, okay, so can you, do you have a situation that the two of you have worked on that has been unusual? The, either the situation was unusual or the findings were unusual or you were surprised at? you have something like that that you can tell us a story about? Uh, Sherry, why don't we talk about the co-workers who got married and was exchanging work across cubicles and um, there was uh, a harassment claim filed about that. Do you remember that case? Yes. Um, we had a stress claim. Why don't you tell that so we story? Went in we went into work on the uh, claim, and it was between two coworkers. Well, what we found out was they decided to run off over the weekend and get married. And as quickly as the marriage started, the marriage ended, and they had made a um, a deal between each other that she wasn't very good with people, so um, she he would take her people cases and. He wasn't very good with details, so she would do all his detailed work. Well, she wasn't happy when he didn't do his end of the deal. So suddenly, you know, they had moved their cubicles next to each other. It, it just created a, a, um, a nightmare work environment. And then now and they it, wanted to file sexual harassment. <laughs> so it wasn't a work-related issue. What's so a that? lot of times what you'll so, find out, it, go ahead, Francie. I was say, did the company know they were a couple and did they have any idea? No, no, they didn't know at the time that they had gotten married. And so it ended up not being work related at all. This was a completely personal issue that they started outside of the company and then brought it into the company. So, you know. We ended up, that was, that was just an unusual one because it ended up not being a, a work-related claim. So, so when the investigator, what was, what, what, what when the investigator jumps into the case, case at the beginning, they never know what they're going to get. Right. So what was the claim? What was the harassment claim? That she was stressed out having to work next to this coworker, and um, and alle- allegating that he was sexually, you know, sexually advancing towards her. <laughs> well, he was her husband. So, when she when she decided to separate, when she decided to make the break in her relationship, it now became an employee employee issue and she made an allegation that he was doing these things and making advances towards her. Um, and, and on, and on the surface, the employer didn't think that that was proper and started an investigation. And like I said, when you come into these things, sometimes you don't know you have this kind of situation going on, but as you follow the leads in your case, leaving no, no stone unturned, all of a sudden, this starts to develop. Exactly. And that's when you so need to sit down with the employer and say, you, you've got a problem here between these employees. They're not only co-workers, they're married. <laughs> and we were, we were probably seven interviews in before we found this out. You know, it, they, <laughs> not too many people knew, but there's always somebody that knows the piece to the puzzle. Right. So what was the employer's reaction when, when I, did, did you tell them or did they find out another way? 
I think we told them, and I think the response of the supervisor was, when did all this happen? (laughs) You know, it was like we let them move their desks close to each other. We let them, you know, work together. We thought they were working together so, so, uh, so wonderfully. All of a sudden, his work improved because she was doing the work he couldn't do well, and her work improved because he was doing the work she couldn't do well. So the employer thought, hey, we have a wonderful thing going on. These two are great coworkers. Well, then when they had home problems, it fell apart just like it came together <laughs> rapidly. And what happened to the two employees? Um, you know, many times we are in and out and don't know the final phase uh-huh. outcome. Uh, we're just in to provide the information and do the investigation. Uh, we let any um, disciplinary or correction, uh, we actually suggest that they convene a separate panel to discuss, now that we've found out all this information, what are we gonna do? Another unbiased, unbiased team so that they can make those uh, decisions in an unbiased way. Uh, so we're usually in and out, investigation done, uh, to be quite honest with you, I think we haven't heard anything on a final on any investigation we've ever done. And that is the down, unfortunately, the downside is that happens often. We put our heart and soul into investigations and then we never know the outcome. That is it's very frustrating. It is. It is. But I think we find our solace in the fact that we went in, we were... Uh, transparent, we performed a professional and ethical, uh, complete investigation with the time and uh, financing allocated, and you can walk away saying we did a good job. If if an investigator can't walk away from something when they're done and say, I did the best I could have possibly done, then they need to adjust their plan in how they approach these situations. That's true. That's very true. So, needless to say, I'm back talking about back workplace investigations. Um, they're typically highly emotional. They are um, hard to control, <laughs> as you mentioned. They're difficult to control because people talk. Um, even though you might be able to contain the investigation you're doing and you may not be able to contain the employees that are talking about it. And uh, so it may end up in litigation just by the nature of people talking too much. Well, that and, and, and the profile of the people involved. If you have high-profile people involved in the investigation, uh, room, the rumor mill is like a wildfire. And, and to be honest, you just have to kind of push that rumor mill aside and stay focused on your investigative plan. Right, right. You know, there's so many tools available today. How often do you have to bring in somebody that's a computer forensics person or a, a cell forensics analyst or somebody like that? Does that happen frequently or yeah. is that an unusual yes. <laughs> We, we ahead, um, definitely use, um, we definitely use our consultants and we work with computer analysts and forensic analysts, cellular telephone analysts, because as much as we would like to know and do it all, they have their specialty. We have ours and, and they have theirs and we work together as a team quite well. And like, like we were yeah. saying with the, um, with the detailed social media background, you know, that, that team works well for us because we can do searches, but not in the same way or to the same detail to get every piece of information we need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they, I think the point needs to be made, too, that when you're gathering information, when it's coming from devices or computers, it has to be in a mm-hmm. format that can be proven in court. Exactly. Can't see. Exactly. And so that, that, <laughs> yes, and that's the importance of, of being able to work with colleagues and and consultants. 
Right, right. Well, Francie, you've heard the so, old phrase, well, I just fake it until I make it. Well, y- you can't do that in investigations because if your case comes into litigation, you have a whole new world of problems by being somebody mm-hmm. that wasn't able to do what should have been done. And, and I would tell somebody always, if you do not know how to do some phase of the investigation, always call in a consultant. For sure. So, um, CW, if you were to, to investigators that are out there listening that may have done sexual harassment investigations or would like to get into them, what pointers would you give to them? Well, Francie, to be honest with you, I think we gave every pointer we could possibly give in this article (laughs) in PI Magazine. I mean, I'm known for giving away all the information I know uh, to give somebody another tool in their investigative toolkit. This article talks about everything we... Go ahead. I was just going to say PI Magazine is one of our valued sponsors, of course. And uh, your article is in the March-April 2019 issue, and it's entitled Investigating in a Me Too World, or hashtag Me Too World. Um, And it will also appear in Claims Magazine's June issue. You know, it's, I guess it's always amazing to me how pervasive this problem is. Um. I, and I guess maybe for lack of a better way of putting it, it's a, it's a bit of a power issue because it's, you know, it's usually supervisors or, or owners or people that are above that are harassing the underlings, but not always. It could be, it could be coworkers, equal status. So, but it's, it's, well, there, it's so there, pervasive. There is always... There is always an element of control involved. Somebody's trying to control something. Mm-hmm. And they're using, you know, rumors. They're using uh, photos that they had in a relationship or photos that they found or photos that somebody gave them. They're passing them around. And people don't realize today that that is almost an instant problem for anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you, and they can expect a lawsuit or they can expect an investigation to come out of it if a person takes offense to what was published or said. And, and what do you do with, an, uh, say, an employee that doesn't want to participate? A witness, say, uh, that's an employee that doesn't want to participate in the investigation. How is that handled? Uh, usually, uh, I mean, it's, we haven't completely evolved, I don't think, but most companies have a, uh, an investigation waiver in their handbook that says that if they, as an employer, are asked to participate in uh, an investigation, that they're required to do so. Um, your employee handbook is critical in these situations. What are the policies? What have they agreed to as a condition of employment? Um, we find most of the time, though, that the person who makes the allegation is more than willing to to be involved. Um, mm-hmm. Where they begin beca- begin to become apprehensive is when they when things are going toward the litigation arena, and their attorney says, "You're not talking to anybody anymore." Okay. So my advice to an investigator is talk to the principals immediately once the allegation has been made. Don't, don't okay, wait time. You, Tell your employers to, that they need to be interviewed ASAP. Okay. Because once they obtain counsel, it, it's, it's going to be a different ball field. Mm-hmm. True. So if you, when you get down to, say, you've completed your investigation, you're getting down to your final report, um, does that include... Everything you've done, or is it limited to specific areas? Well, when you're talking about reports, uh, I know that you do criminal stuff. Um, 
a lot of times that's when you're going to make sure that you (laughs) you make sure. Well, yeah, that that was kind of comical. When you have attorneys involved, they're going they're going to talk about attorney-client privilege. They're going to be talking about all of that. Um, that's where, in the beginning, you want to sit down with all counsel involved and say, how is the reporting going to be done uh, in this case? Are we going to give okay. individual reports about every interview? Are we going to give a final all-inclusive report, which is something I do not recommend, um, because in discovery, uh, you're going to give up everything in that case in one report. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you have a, a general report, which is more, more than not a summary report, uh, it gives the, the process who was talked to, uh, and the like, then you're, you're in a better situation. Council will always, um, ask you to do interviews, um, on a single report. Uh, so that if somebody asks for John Smith's interview, they don't get John Smith, right. Mary Moore, uh, David this, and how many other witnesses are involved. Right. So that's right. You want to make sure that's that you set the reporting scheme with counsel, so that from the very beginning, uh, you know how the reports are going to need to be put together. Um, uh, and we we right. always so, look at the end result as litigation. Right. So We're going to have the collection of evidence, the collection of documents, CW. the reporting needs to be uh, yes. I don't think you hear me. I said we're going to have to close, but I just wanted to say, sure. if, if folks, if you have questions uh, about sexual harassment or Me Too type investigations, um, do you want to give your contact information, CW and Sherry? Sure, you can uh, reach us. I, I think I think the easiest way is just to go to our website. Um, okay, and that T-S-I, is T S I G U S A dot com, and just go to the he likes to him. our uh, contact page and send us a brief note, and we'll get back to you. Okay, so T like Thomas, S like Sam, I G U S A dot com, and then we're at the end of right. the show, folks. Thank you so much. Sorry about the technical issues. Uh, join me again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Sherry Sellers and T.W. Sellers every Thursday morning. It's Guys Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.